You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. My name is Chaz Zenteno. Along with my wife, Olivia, we lead the campus ministry, the college ministry here in the West Side. And I hope you've been having a great weekend. You know, I took some of the campus men uh, up to the Sequoia National Forest from Monday to Thursday this past week. We slept in tents on the ground. And, and when you're a young man, th- there's something really appealing about going to the woods and running around and chasing bears and doing all these things. Uh, and there are bears up there. You have to put everything in bear boxes. And I remember when Olivia and I got married, I was 27, and she's like, you're, you're almost 30. Like, you're old. And I remember feeling in my head, I'm like, I'm not old. 27, I mean, you round it up, but you have to round up like three years. Come on. Well, after camping, you know, when you camp with your wife, you camp on an air mattress. You, you move up in the world when you get married and camping becomes a thing. When you go with the guys and your wife stays at home, you go back to sleeping on the ground. And so about the third day or the morning that we woke up and left, and I had this knot in my back the size of a softball, I'm going... Yeah, I'm almost 30. I'm feeling it a little bit here. You know, it reminded me that that passage where Jesus talks about the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I went, man, Jesus is a better man than me. Did this for three years. But last week, we started this series called The Seven I Ams. And it was the seven, you know, as as stated there on the cover slide, this was the seven I Ams, the seven things that Jesus said that he is like or that he is. You know, Todd started us off last week with I am bread, talking about how the only thing that can really sustain us is this incredible relationship with God and what that looks like. And and he gave us some very incredible analogies there. The title of my lesson today, as we continue on in the second part of this series or the second lesson, is I am the gate. And if you'll turn with me to John chapter 10. You know, to give you some context about where we're at, kind of in the book of John, in chapter 9, just one chapter previous, Jesus had healed a man who had been born blind. This was not uncommon. Jesus healed many people. But it was interesting. He spits on the mud, spits in the dirt, kind of makes some mud, rubs it on this guy's eyes, and and suddenly he can see. And the Pharisees, who were the you know, kind of the religious leaders of the day, the church leaders of the day, these guys, were kept interrogating the guy who had been healed, trying to figure out some kind of, okay, maybe he wasn't really blind, maybe this was a hoax. They bring in his parents. There's this huge investigation. And at the end of it, it's just so obvious that Jesus has done a miracle, but they're so unwilling to admit it. They're so unwilling to recognize kind of what Jesus has done. And he uses this blind man to to tell this whole story about spiritual blindness. And he's talking to the Pharisees about their spiritual blindness. And this is kind of where we pick up in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Here, I'll just change the slide right here. That's a lot smaller than I thought it was. Verse 1 says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters the gate, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You know, I love Jesus' parables. I love how he tells stories. And that in, in so many of his stories, he used examples from real life that, that people could really relate to on a very deep level. Things that they would see in their daily lives or things that they would experience. Things that when he said it, it would resonate with them deeply. And here he uses two of these examples to illustrate this incredible point about the kingdom. That there is only one way in. And we're going to examine this as we look at two of these analogies, two of these stories that he uses this morning. The first one being the sheep pen. Now, this was really cool for me kind of writing this lesson because there was a lot of history kind of wrapped in these things. And I got my degree in history and I don't get to flex it very often. And so this morning we're going to flex a little history. Amen. This is an ancient sheep pen. During that time and during that region of Israel, you would have found sheep pens like this or naturally occurring caves in the region where there was only one way in that a shepherd at nighttime would use to house his sheep. And what had happened is that the wall, this is obviously pretty old, so the wall would have been a little higher. But a shepherd would bring his sheep towards it. He would lead them into the pen. And if you notice, there's no gate there. Because what happened is the shepherd would actually sleep in that little slit there and he himself would be the gate to the pen so that sheep wouldn't be able to just walk out and that wolves or you know any kind of predators would have to go through him first to try to get to the sheep right it's this really cool analogy that jesus uses for the kingdom right when you look at this this is what jesus is saying man this is where you will be safe as he's looking out across the people, this is where you can have a relationship with me. This is where I want you to be. This is where I will take care of you. And if you notice, there is only one way in. Which, obviously, is pretty self-explanatory, right? In verse 1, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, anyone who does not enter, by the, enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. Right. Jesus is connecting this point with the Pharisees that anyone who doesn't come into the gate is up to no good. And that makes sense. Right. If you're inviting someone over to your house, they don't come in, you know, at 11 p.m. at night through your upstairs window. It's safe to assume that something shady is happening in your house when that is going on. You know what I'm saying? People come in through the front door, even the back door. Someone comes around the back door. I mean, like, they better be really close to you. And they, it better not be Texas. Because if you come around the back door in Texas, you're liable to get shot. Right? There's a sense of, there is a very clear way that you come in when I invite you over. Right? And this would have been so easy for it. I mean, if you climb in the sheep pen over the wall, what, 
What are you doing? Are you playing a prank? Are you stealing sheep? Are you, you're either a thief or a robber. Right? And if the Pharisees hadn't been so spiritually blind, right, kind of going back to chapter 9, as Jesus is telling this story, right, you look in verse 6, it says he used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Right? If they hadn't been so spiritually blind, this would have been a very difficult thing for them to deal with. Because as you read this parable, it becomes very clear that Jesus is saying that the entire way that they've been leading people to God through their religiosity, or the entire way that, man, they've been demonstrating what this relationship with God is supposed to look like is completely wrong. And when you've been doing that your entire life, and doing it that way, and thinking that it's been right, the entire time, that can be a tough pill to swallow. Right? I love that Jesus wasn't even like really nice about it. He wasn't like, guys, you know what? I feel like we have some things we need to work on. He's like, no, you guys are thieves and robbers. Like, he just like kind of takes it to their teeth a little bit. You know, they're supposed to be the shepherds of God's people. And he's like, guys, let's be honest. You're basically, you're a thief and a robber. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I can feel that. You know, the reality was they had lost sight of what it meant to have this relationship with God. And they had turned it into something that was more comfortable and easier. Easier for them. You know, I can definitely relate to this. I remember growing up in church my entire life. And I remember going to college and studying the Bible for the very first time. And sitting down, and, and not just like going to church every Sunday, but, but actually sitting down, kind of opening up a Bible and going, okay, let me read what Jesus said. Let me read about what it means to be a Christian. And when you do that, very quickly you realize certain things. And as I'm reading this Bible and kind of realizing the expectation that Jesus has of what it looks like to actually have a relationship with him, like spending daily time with him, reading your Bible and praying, or denying your desires and instead letting God dictate the way that you should live your life. Or even just acknowledging kind of the sin in your life, like David was talking about, and making a decision to die to this lifestyle. You know, I'm reading over these things as I'm studying the Bible in college and quickly realizing that the way that I grew up as a Christian was nowhere near up to snuff what Jesus would have said the bare bones standard of being a man of God looks like. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, but, but this is what I was told. This is what I was taught. This is, ever since I can remember going to church, this is what, and the idea that maybe I had been taught wrong. Or the idea that maybe there were people who claimed to love God, but were actually obeying God in an incorrect way was in some ways harder to wrap my mind around than just, hey, you need to repent. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And harder to wrap my mind around than even just looking at my life and seeing the things that needed to change and wanting to change those things. And I remember wrestling with this. Like, okay, sure, I, I don't have a problem, you know, giving this up or doing this, but, but you're telling me that I'm wrong. And that I've been wrong for like 18 years about something that I thought I was pretty good at. And I remember I just had to get to this place of sitting down and going, okay, I've got to make a decision here about whether I'm going to try to justify kind of the way I was taught 
or if I'm just going to obey God and obey God's word. And I think for us, man, it's so important that we are taking the time kind of throughout our lives to ask ourselves, where have I jumped the fence? Right? Sometimes you even get caught jumping the fence. Like you're having like a little, little confession time and you get caught halfway like this guy did. Right? But it's important to ask ourselves, man, where in my life have I tried to climb over the wall instead of entering through by Jesus' way? You know, where are the things in my life that instead of coming through like the shepherd says I should, I've been a thief and a robber of God, robbing different aspects of my relationship with God for what's comfortable and what's familiar. You know, this is what Jesus was bringing to their faces. And I think we've got to be willing to compare our lives to what the Bible actually says and make sure that they match up. What you were taught growing up, that's not good enough if it doesn't match up to the Bible. You know, whatever your parents' tradition was, whatever your family's tradition has been, no matter how many generations long, that is not good enough if it doesn't match up to what Jesus says. You've been climbing over the wall. You've been a thief and a robber. You know, I look at, I went online and did some research. And you go online and you just do a search, like a Google search. How many different denominations are there of Christianity in America? And you get anything from like 10,000 to like 38,000. And in fact, even when people, when different researchers have looked at those margins, you know, the 10,000 on the low end, the 38 on the high end, they go, there's such a discrepancy because there's actually so many that it's hard to even categorize and, and figure out how many there are. So let's just go middle of the road and let's say 30,000. Or if you feel like that's not conservative enough, let, let's cut it back to 20,000. Jesus says there's one way into the sheep pen. I don't even know what a sheep pen would look like with 20,000 different ways of getting in. That's like just open field. You know what I'm saying? Like you skydive in, you burrow in, you walk in, you bike in, you fall in. I don't, you, you can't imagine how many ways, you know, the idea of how to get to heaven or how to have a relationship with God nowadays is so subjective, man, it kind of just depends on what church you go to on which Sunday down the street. And you'll get a different answer about what it looks like to have a relationship with God and how to get to heaven. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 3, Paul writes to Timothy, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. You know, I love this story because Jesus calls us back to the standard. You know, in talking about this sheep pen, Jesus called the people back to this conviction that God's word, that Jesus' word, are the only things that we can base our convictions on. 
that these are the only things that we can do to have a true relationship with God without falling prey or falling victim to these 20,000 different ways. Is that you've got to make sure that you're not climbing over the wall, that you're entering by the gate. You know, his second analogy was very similar to the first. And initially I was like, man, how do I, how am I going to connect these things? But the second analogy he uses is simply the gate, right? The title of the lesson is I am the gate. He opens up with the sheep pen and he kind of talks about the gate a little bit. And you're like, okay, this, this makes sense. I'm getting it. But there are different notes that he puts here kind of in the, in the second half that really would have resonated on a whole different level as he was explaining the story. In verse 9, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, this is a medieval gate in Cardiff, Wales. This would not have been around in Jesus' time. This is like very advanced stuff. But when you look at that, I'm going to go a little historical here, right? He called himself the gate. And the reality was, back in that time, if you lived in a village or if you lived in a big enough city, one of the biggest, most crucial aspects of your city was the wall. Right was having a big, fortified, thick, protective wall around your city. Because this was a time when a lot of people still lived these nomadic lifestyles. They traveled around their entire clan, their entire tribe, whatever. And for a lot of them during this time period, one of the main ways that they got food, that they got stuff, was they stole it from other people. Right? You think of the Old Testament, you think of David and his mighty men, when their wives and all of their stuff is taken. Right. You think of Nehemiah when he remembers the destroyed wall and kind of what that meant for his people in Nehemiah chapter one. And when he's recounting that to the king of Persia, right, raiding and looting what was kind of a normal thing in life. And if you didn't have a wall, then you got raided and looted. And I love, you know, even the way that he says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Right. And this is what raiders did jesus would have said this and there would have been a sense of oh is he talking about if we were to be raided if people were to come and to steal and kill and destroy our village you know to live in such an unprotected village mean you meant you lived in a state of constant vigilance you had guards you had men whose sole duty was to watch out and to look out because if some, at any time you were vulnerable to needing to fight for your life or flee for your life. They would come on horseback. They would come fast, horseback or camelback. And it would be moments, moments to decide whether or not you were going to live or die in that moment. And you look at this picture, and in that time they would have had Roman fortresses, which not as robust and stone-like and, you know, all these things, but it still would have been, they were made by Rome, so they were legit. But the city gate, you look at this, the city gate was the entryway in their minds, the symbolism there was this was the entry into protection. The city gate was the way that you ran when the raiders were coming, if you had one. If you were out in the fields, even the shepherds 
out in the fields, right? If you read the Old Testament, they carried off camels, they carried off sheep. Like you had to get your flock into the, into the city gate as fast as you possibly could. And structurally, it's interesting because the city gate is the weakest part of the wall because it's an opening. And so the city gate would have been the most heavily fortified, most defensible. You would have had guys on top with bow and arrow, with spears, with rocks, with burning hot tar to pour on people like as they attacked your gate. You would have had portcullis. You would have had all these reinforcements, steel that would have come down. I mean, to attack a city gate was like no easy thing. And so in Jesus' mind, you know, when he says, I am the gate, there was a sense of security that that would have meant, that people would have immediately understood. That when he says, you know, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy, I have come that they may have life. When you lived in one of these unprotected villages, that was living in fear that you were going to be attacked and killed was not life to the full. Jesus was speaking here to something that man, resonated with these people in a whole different way. This idea that, man, I am going to be protection. That even though there's 20,000 different ways and that you might be living in fear. And I, I know some of us lived in fear at that time. Man, okay, I, I go to church every Sunday, but your church says something different. Your church has a better worship team. Your church has a better building. Which one of us is actually going to heaven? I don't. And there's an insecurity that can creep in. Okay, well, am I doing enough? I didn't, man, I didn't share my faith today. I, I, is that, am I still qualified? Am I still getting? And there's all of this uncertainty that can come. Jesus being the gate, the one way into the spiritual protection of God brought so much freedom for these people. And I want you to write these scriptures down. It would have brought freedom from fear in Romans 8.31. If God is with us, who can be against us? It would have brought freedom from insecurity. 1 Corinthians 15.10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And it would have brought a freedom that no matter what, man, God is with you. Matthew 28.20. For surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus being the one way. Jesus being the protection from this insecurity, the protection from this fear, would have meant that you could rest assured, knowing exactly where you stood with God, knowing exactly where you were at in your relationship with Him, knowing exactly what was expected of you, because Jesus was going to tell you exactly what those things were. And because there was only one way in, you could rest assured that if you were doing this God's way, that you were right with God. And so I want to challenge us this week. You know, as we think about Jesus being the gate, as we think about Jesus being the sheep pen, I want us to remember that because of Jesus, because of this way that he laid out, we can have all the confidence in the world where we stand when it comes to our relationship with God. That we can have all the confidence in the world of what it takes to approach God, what it takes to enter that gate and to receive salvation, what it takes to be a man or woman of God, that he gives us that security by outlining the one way in. Let's remember that, and let's remember the life that he dreams of us having, that his idea of the kingdom, his idea of the sheep pen, brings us all the much closer 
to God. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.